Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. It has been for my wife and I a tremendous blessing to be here. We appreciate you, appreciate your faithfulness. I was feeling like I lived here in North Carolina. I could be a part of this place real easy today until I got somebody honked at me. Sitting at a red light, the light turned green, a guy honked at me. And I thought, this is like I'm in California. I can't believe that. I didn't even get my foot to the gas and that guy honked at me. And I thought, wow, me must be from California. I'm not sure. But tremendous. We appreciate it very much. I mean, I have to get home because I am about to bust. I'm telling you what, I, I, I've never been in a place where they have a buffet in every garage, every gas station. I, I know because I tried them all. And uh, goodness, you've been so good to us. Uh, uh, I have to do something. Uh, people today are gaining so much weight already. People were using me for shade on street corners. I mean, it, it was getting bad. So I'm going to have to get back home and start eating granola and quiche and all the junk that people eat in California. But we make it. I got to have carrot salad today. I haven't had carrot salad in forever with raisins and pineapple in it. My people, I raised on that stuff. And I asked that lady at uh, Oscars today, you have carrot salad? She goes, we do. I said, you put raisins and pineapple? She goes, you know about that? And I said, oh, I do. So they brought some carrot, I had some carrot salad today. That's not all I had. I had a cheeseburger with bacon on it too, by the way. So just to be careful, you know, vegetarians, I'm Cherokee, my background's Cherokee. And we have, a, we have an expression for vegetarians. It's called no can hunt. And uh, so, <laughs> So I, I'm for people being vegetarian. I'm for them doing all that. It leaves more meat for us carnivores. So it's, it's fantastic. But thank you for all your kindnesses to us. It's been a pleasure to get to meet you, to get to know you. I love this part of the country. I've only been here twice and both times to this trip. And two weeks ago, actually, we were out here preaching over in, uh, in um, Virginia, actually. But our daughter and her husband just moved to Greensboro. And so we got to see them for a little bit. And my soul, where we are in Reading, it's very dry and very hot. In fact, it rained at our place yesterday. That's the first time it's rained in months. Um, it just gets real hot and, and real dry. Our humidity will get down to single digits. It's so, it's so dry there. But that means everything dries up. So you don't see a lot of green, nothing, to be honest with you. Trees and such, but everything is very dry. And um, it's so hot there in Reading. We have had days of 120. 121 um, and 100 degree day is just very common for us from June all the way to September. And um, so it gets very warm. Farmers have to feed their chickens crushed ice or they deliver hard boiled eggs. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's hot there. They pull potatoes out of the ground, they're already baked. I mean, it's, it's hot. And the worst part is the, the uh, fire hydrant's whistle for the dogs. But anyway, so it's, it's hot out there. And so you, you pray for us. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, stand please with me tonight. If you are able, you are welcome to sit if you are of that condition. Now we've talked a lot about missions, of course, because that's what this meeting is about. We've talked about the different parts and areas that are critical to, to missions and what missions are about. And tonight I want to talk to you about how to, how to have a mind and a heart for missions. Now, after we're done tonight, that's it for the missions revival. And there'll be an emphasis and, and, and things about missions throughout this year. No doubt they'll have missionaries report in or come through throughout the year. Different things will be said. But you know something, ladies and gentlemen, it's important for us to not let this thing about emphasis on missions just go by the way. We, we're, we're big on that nowadays. We've, we've been trained that way in this electronic generation, this television generation. To look at something, pick it up, put it down, and go on to the next thing. Right. So developing and having a heart and a mind for missions becomes very important. Because you see, after we're done here, we go back to, I go back to, my wife and I go back to California. It's like a mission field out there. There's no question about that. Folks have been asking for prayer cards. We're not missionaries. I'm a pastor of a church, <laughs> but I feel like I pastor on a mission field. These dear folk will be going back to their place and where they want to be, as Brother Deku said tonight about wanting to be back in Fiji, where it's where their heart and their life is and where they want to serve and what they want to do. 
But then you and I will go back to our lives. We'll go back to our day. We'll go back to our week. We'll go back to our families and the things that we do. How do we maintain a mind and a heart for missions? In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, very familiar passage. It is not only about missions, but it's the philosophy of a church for missions. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. The philosophy of missions in that verse is you start where you are and then you go out to the world from there. But notice the word both, and we'll come back to it later in the message. You're supposed to do all of that at the same time. In other words, where you are at the same time, you go to what's near you, around, around you. Then you go outside of that area, and then you go to the four corners of the earth. But you do it both. You do it all at the same time. And that should be the philosophy of a, of a church, a missions philosophy. We're going to start where we are, and then we're going to, our intention is to reach the four corners of the earth. You say, well, Brother Johnson, I mean, that's nice philosophy, but it's not practical. It is practical. It's biblical. It's what Jesus gave us. It's what he intended us to have, to think, and to do. And within that verse tonight are a couple of thoughts I want to share with you and give you tonight. And I believe if we'll follow them, we'll develop a mind and a heart for missions. Father, blessed tonight, be with us, I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you, please be seated. Keeping your Bibles open to Acts chapter one and verse number eight. By the way, may I say tonight very quickly, when I, I, I want us to understand something tonight, Victory Baptist Church, this missions revival is essential to your church. Amen. It's essential to the future of your church. And let me prove it to you. In Acts chapter one and verse eight, Jesus here gives this fledgling New Testament church, this commission. It's a missions commission. He also gave them a mission to Christians and to the church. That's Matthew chapter 28, going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, there are people who believe that great commission was just given to those Christians in that day and at that time. That's completely wrong. And I can prove that to you too. Look at all the people in Acts who weren't there, who took the same commission and went to the four corners of the earth. The Apostle Paul's a classic example. He wasn't there when Jesus gave the great commission. But Paul accepted that, that it was his responsibility in his day and his time to take the great commission. So don't let anybody ever pass that off to you. He's given a great commission to each individual Christians and to churches to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He also gave a great commission to, the, to us to reach children. Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such are the kingdom of heaven. Great commission to children. He gave a great commission to the poor and the lame and the blind. He said, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. By the way, you put those two great commissions together, and you know what that says in our modern day? Bus ministry. You go get them. The goal of the great commission, we're never to develop the mentality that we have the gospel here and people just need to come to us and we'll preach the gospel to them. They, we will, and they will, and that's fine. But the great commission always has the go to it. That means as you are going wherever you go whatever you do the go of the great commission for churches for christians for children to children for the poor and here the fourth great commission jesus gave is the great commission for missions Amen. he said i want you to start where you are your jerusalem that's this roanoke rapids this area this place where you live that's North Carolina. That's then South Carolina. That's Virginia. That's this eastern seaboard. That's also the Midwest. And that's the West Coast. And those sorts of things. Then you go to Canada and Mexico. And then you spread out and go to the four corners of the earth. That's the calling. That's the command. That's the great commission for missions for us. How do we maintain this thing about what the world needs in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, I gave you some statistics the other night, and I'm not going to give you a whole lot of statistics this evening. I am going to give you one important statistic. It has nothing to do with missions, and that's this. Women who gain weight live longer than men who mention it. Please remember that statistic. <laughs> That'll keep you alive, Holmes, so I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay, just, just remember that. <laughs> That's a vital statistic, as a matter of fact. The truth of the matter is, see, this mission's revival is so important to you because these people took this great commission of missions in Acts 1. There was 120 of them. They gathered in an upper room. They prayed for 10 days. 
Acts 2, the power of Pentecost comes upon them. They didn't, listen to me, Pentecost was not about going around calling off the names of all Japanese automobiles. Kawasaki, Hyundai, that was not the point of the day of Pentecost. It was, Moody called it, it was a specimen day to empower New Testament Christians to do the work of, of seeing people saved. Because that's what God talks about. 3,000 people were baptized. Now there was more than that saved, but there was that many baptized. And that church, listen, that church that day went from 120 to 3,000 in 120 in one day. Then a couple of weeks later, they go another 5,000, they went to 8,120. You see, they got a hold of this idea that our job, our responsibility is to start where we are and go to the four corners of the earth. And because they took it seriously and carried it out, they exploded, not just only in growth, but influence. Later on in Acts, what do you read? They that have turned the world upside down have come here. Their power, their influence, their souls, the life, the growth, the influence of their work, it, it spread from there to the known world of their day. Can you imagine that? Have you ever heard anybody say that anymore about Christians? They that have turned the world upside down have come here. You see how important this missions thing is today? It's important that we don't just get a hold of it, look at it, and go, okay, yeah, that's nice, let's go on. We've got to have a mind for missions. How do we do it? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 tonight, very quickly, please. It starts with accepting responsibility. Jesus said in verse 8, but ye shall receive power. Now here that word power means ability. In Matthew 28, verse number 18, Jesus said, all power is given unto me. That word there means authority. And then Jesus, listen, Jesus had the authority of God to do what he did. Then when Jesus went back to heaven, what did he do? He took that authority and he gave it to us yes. along with the ability to carry that authority out. Amen. Now here's the important thing. That our responsibility now goes to each generation of Christians. Every generation of Christians has been given the power, the authority, and the ability to take the great commission of Jesus Christ to this world, to take the gospel to the world. Now, here's what that means. This is our hour now. This is our day. We talk about this is the day we have. Not only that, this is our responsibility. You got saved, my friend, and when you got saved, you were given a responsibility. Uh, power and authority and ability to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to this known world. Now, if we're going to have a mind for missions, we need to become more responsible about what we do. It's what we tell our kids. Why don't you be responsible about what I told you? Why don't you be responsible and make your bed? Why don't you be responsible with your work? Responsibility. Now, the truth of the matter is the backbone of our nation has been built by people who are not here to get from America, but to give to America. A responsibility to go to work and pay our bills and do right and live right. Instead of sitting around in front of a mailbox on the 1st and the 15th of the month waiting for God to show up. Are, am I, am I, are you with me on that one? Right? We're not here to get welfare. We're not here to get gimme gimme. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to make our nation a better nation by being a part of what's right with our country. That's our responsibility. Now stay with me. Come on. We're responsible if we accept our duties and responsibilities as a husband, as a father, as a man, right? As a Christian, as a wife, as a mother, as a Christian. We have our responsibilities that we are to fulfill. So that's a part of being mature. It's a part of being, being what we're supposed to be, right? Then as a Christian, you and I have a responsibility to take this power that Jesus gave us, authority, ability, and take it to this world. So when this is over and done and the meeting is finished and, and, the, and the missions revival is completed and you go home tomorrow night and say, are we supposed to be in church tonight? You go home tomorrow night, wait a minute. I still have a, an authority and a responsibility to take the gospel to the four corners of this earth. Yeah. Now, that's important for me to accept that. It's important for me to live under that. It's important. Well, I don't want to do that. Then you're one of those kind of people, like men who run off on their family and don't care, take care of their family. Yeah. Like women who back out on their responsibility for their families. That's irresponsible, isn't it? It's people who don't realize, well, you know, I don't want to fulfill my role. Well, then you shouldn't have been a father. You shouldn't have been a mother. You should have never got married. You shouldn't have had a family. If you're not going to step up to your responsibility, then don't take one on. 
Now, it takes more than just kids to be a father. It takes more than kids having kids to be a mother. And there's a responsibility issue that's involved in that. You know, we, we've got to be careful here or we'll act like that. We'll, we'd never do that. There are people in this room, you'd die before you give up on your family. You'd give your life before you'd back out on your responsibility to your home, your loved ones. Right? Okay, good. Take that same attitude toward the responsibility of the fact that we're supposed to take the gospel to the four corners of this earth. You say, well, yeah, that's for preachers, that's for missionaries, that's for people who do that. No, they're taking that part for us to go to the field. We are still responsible to make sure they do what they do. We're still responsible to take care of this and to do everything we can to be a part of this. You get a mind and a heart for missions by accepting responsibility. Look at verse eight again. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Number two, you have a heart and mind for missions based on your spiritual condition. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Spirit-filled Christians Amen. have a heart and a mind for missions. Yes. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 to 20, where it says, Be not drunk with wine, nor is excess, but... Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then it goes on to talk about submitting yourselves one to another. A Spirit-filled Christian is submissive not only to their role in life, but they're submissive to what God has asked them to be in this area of being a witness, of being a part of getting the Great Commission out. Truthfully speaking, carnal Christians don't care about anything but themselves. That's the great evidence of carnality. They just care about themselves. They just want to make, write notes in church instead of pay attention. They'd rather goof off than listen to what the word of God has to say. They, listen, they only think about, all they're concerned about is what does their social media page tell them? What do they get? What's their hair look like? What kind of shoes are they wearing? What kind of stuff do they have? How do they live? The way they're, they're just about me, me, my, 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 mine. Spiritual Christians are not like that. Spiritual Christians are about somebody else. They're always about others because that's who Jesus was. That's the way Jesus was. And that's what we're supposed to be. Don't you understand? Spirit-filled Christians, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Remember what Jesus said when he gave his great commission in Luke. He said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He said, don't even go out and do what I just told you to do until you know the Spirit of God's working in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for God's people to get spiritual. People tell us that all the time. Well, I am a spiritual person. They don't even know what that means. They have no idea what spiritual means. What, you, you, you hear the wind blow through the trees and you're spiritual? You're spiritual because you meditate? Um, when I was uh, out of the will of God and backslidden in the service, I had a guy that told me I had, I had, had some anger issues. That would probably surprise you. And he said, you need to try transcendental meditation. I said, what in the world is that? He said, it's, it's meditating. He said, you take a one or two syllable uh, statement, word, and you get in a room, you put on some candles, you get there, be real quiet, calm, burn the candles. And then you just slowly begin to say this word out loud and then internalize it. And he says, and as you go into that deep seated place of meditation, he said, it'll be like an iceberg where more shows above than below. And you'll get down into that iceberg underneath the water inside your heart and your mind. And he says, and it'll be so refreshing in your life. And I also backslid and I thought, man, whatever. I fight at the drop of my head, drop my head every chance I got. I got out of the service early because I got into an altercation in a non-Sunday school environment. And so I thought, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I'm sitting in my chair. I get the candles lit up and I'm, uh, nah, 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 nah. and you know what I found out? I got some of the best naps I ever had in my life. Hmm. See, did you get down to that iceberg? I don't know. I was sound asleep. I have no idea. I woke up, spit running down my face. Probably demon possessed, for goodness sakes. You know, you know it's really sad to think that, that Christians today, we think somehow or another we can do a, a spiritual work in a carnal way. Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? It's your spiritual condition. 
A spirit-filled Christian cares about souls. A spirit-filled Christian cares about seeing these people and these, you, know, you look at the video, so we're so TV-minded, we go, oh yeah, look at those folks over there in Fiji, you know, there they are without, no, 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 you see their faces, you realize every one of them is a soul for whom Jesus died. And I'll probably never get to those islands myself, but you know what, they're over there, and then you start thinking, okay, now what can I do to help those folk do what they do over there to get the gospel to those people on that side over there? Go into these places, is helpful, but be honest with you, you don't have to go to get a heart for souls. You just need to walk with God. Get your heart right with the Lord. Let the Spirit of God control you, and you'll get a burden for souls. You'll start caring about people who are around you, people who live next door to you, and what you and where you live. Look at verse number eight again. You know how you get a heart and mind for souls? It involves our personal, local soul winning. Look at verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, where you are. Look here, people. You're not going to care about Africa if you don't care about Roanoke Rapids. You understand that? If you don't care about Littleton, you don't care about Weldon, you don't care about this place right here where we are. If you don't get a burden for Halifax County, if that doesn't mean anything to you, that there are people around you who are dying without Jesus and going to hell every day, every second, two people leave this life, every second, every second. We preach an hour, that's, that's 120. This, you, you understand how many people that is, ladies and gentlemen? Do you understand how many folks that is? Do you understand those neighbors that live across from you, those people who live next door you? Do you understand those folks with whom you work? Do you understand tonight, dear folks, if you don't care about them, you're not going to care about anybody in Fiji who don't care about people in Germany. It won't make any difference. And by the way, I know churches that are very strong missions-minded churches who are very weak on their soul winning, but I've never seen one stay that way. If you don't care about running buses, if you don't care about knocking doors, if you don't care about trying to reach folks, you don't get tracks and carry them in your pocket and hand them out to people. What is it about folks and tracks? I don't understand why you don't want to just keep a track in your pocket and carry it with you and give it to somebody. That ain't going to cost you nothing. I have a dear pastor friend, Pastor Rule in Chico. He pastors my old home church. His wife was a waitress in Minnesota. A customer left her a track and a tip. Don't stiff them and leave a track. Left a track and a tip. And she went on her break and sat down and read the track, trusted Christ, got saved. And she's a pastor's wife today. Don't tell me that. God's word does not return unto him void, folk. But you know what's sadder still? Nowadays I'm hearing more people who have a loved one who dies. And I say, well, were they Christians? You know, I never asked. And I think to myself, what are we doing? You mean your own grandpa? You don't even know if your own grandpa's saved. You don't even know if your, own, your, your, own, your sisters or brothers are saved, your loved ones, your relatives, your cousins, your even just people who know you. You get to see, you never talk to them. Well, we're not supposed to talk about religion, Pastor Johnson, when we get together family. Fine, talk about Jesus then. Then leave the religion part out of it. Now, I know that. Now, listen, people, listen. You say, well, that's because everybody in your family is saved. Can't say that. I can tell you this. Everybody in our family knows about Jesus. They know about salvation. For 30 plus years, we witnessed to my wife's grandfather. He's a good man, hardworking man. He came as a lost man. He came to love our church. In the early days, we were trying to do some building projects and stuff, and I was talking to him about it, and I said, Granddad, we're working on this. We're just trying to get some money together. He said, well, how much you need? And I said, well, probably about 85, 90,000. He goes, what kind of interest you give me? And at that time, I told him what was fair interest. He goes, I can do that. I didn't ask him. He just offered it. Two days later, I get a check in the mail to our church for $85,000. I called him up. I said, well, thank you, granddad, but we got to protect you here and this has got to be done legally and it's got to be handled the correct way. So I appreciate that. So we bought, he, he loaned us some money. You know what? After that, every time he talked to me, he'd say, how's my church doing? I said, well, it's, we're doing okay. You're getting young people in. You got to get young people in there, you know. He's a lost man. He didn't know anything about church or build anything else. He got, he got involved in that thing. And then later on, he goes, hey, you need any more money up there for your church? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, we're about to stick it on another project. What you need? I told him. Two days later, I get another check in the mail. I said, granddad, you got, we got to put this to the title company and protect your money and make sure everything's okay. He goes, I trust you. Don't worry about it. But we would witness him. We witnessed that man for 30 years. 
And after a while, he kind of got aggravated with us and didn't want us to. He said, don't talk to me about it. After 30 years of witnessing to him, one day he and I were sitting on the front porch. His wife, my mother, led her grandmother to Christ. Did her funeral. I did her funeral. Witnessed to granddad again. He goes, well, I'm glad for her. Glad she's okay. I'm all right. Don't bother me. But we're sitting on the porch one day, some months after that. And I said, now, granddad, I got to talk to you about this again. Granddad, please. Please, granddad. You got to trust Christ. And I said, I'm going to go through it again. And I explained the plan of salvation very simply. And I bowed my head. I said, now, granddad, if you'd be willing to trust Christ, would you just put your hand right there in my hand? And let's pray together and get this settled. And he put his own withered hand right there. And he trusted Christ and got saved. Say, yeah, I'm concerned about my own family. You ought to be concerned about whoever you saw today. Listen to me. You can't have a mind and heart for missions if you don't care about people you see all the time. I'm sorry, but it just doesn't work like that. We have a grocery store right next to our church there. And uh, those poor people, they got tracks. They got stacks of them. Our people stopped there on the way after church and stopped in and get something like that. I gave one to the lady again the other day. And she said, I, I got one of these. I said, nope, you didn't get that one now. Let me leave that with you. Come on, we're right here next door. Come see us. Like they live in that grocery store, bless their heart. And, and that kind of stuff. But we've seen people come from that grocery store and come to church. The truth of the matter is, dear people, listen to me. It's not only about being soul conscious. It's a product of a spiritual condition of a Christian. But you're not going to have a heart for missions in another part of this world if you don't care about the souls who live right here what we're doing right here how we're reaching people right here and not just that your church does see we got a lot of churches that look good on paper when it comes to soul winning but in practice they're really not soul winning they're not carrying out the great commission they're not fulfilling it I'm trying to find the brother tonight and I don't see him I'm sure he's here talks to me about going I think it's a flea market has tracks and hands them out to people that's wonderful stuff see there's a way to reach people there just is and we'll never care about South America and Brazil, if we don't care about Weldon. If Roanoke Rapids, we don't care about those people that we work with, that lunch meat factory I worked in in South Chicago. When I started working there, I was the only Christian I could find in that place because I asked people. And I thought, why am I on a shift of 300 folks with no other Christians on here? And it was one of those moments I told you about a little bit on Sunday. It's a duh moment. Well, duh, you're here to make Christians, for goodness sakes. That's why you're in this place. And I had the privilege to lead many of those folks to Christ and to see them get saved. You know something, ladies and gentlemen, because I got a burden for the people with whom I worked. Amen. Yeah, they're a bunch of heathens. Yeah, so were those folk. Feel the language, talked about stuff. I had a man named Bob Scott when I worked in this. I was a maintenance man in the factory there, maintenance mechanic on the machinery, the high-speed machinery and everything else they had in the place you could fix it. Bob Scott was given, I was given to him as my trainer. He looked like an owl. He had a flat top, little curled up eyebrows. He just looked like an owl. And the superintendent puts me with this guy and says, Bob, you're going to train Mike here to be a, a maintenance mechanic. He looks at me and he goes, you the preacher? I said, yes, sir, I am. He goes, keep it to yourself. I'm an atheist. I said, I'm here to work. What do we got to do? Let's go. And so we'd work together. And we start after a couple of weeks. He goes, hey, preacher, let me ask you a question. You believe in this life after death stuff? I said, sure, dude. The Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. He goes, hey, I told you keep it to yourself. I said, you asked the question. Now, if you're going to ask, I'm going to answer. He goes, oh, I ain't going to answer. Ask some more questions. That's it. So I'm all going to say. I said, let's go to work. So we start working together a couple weeks later. This heaven hell thing. You really think there's anything to that? I go, absolutely. Rich man and Lazarus, Luke chapter 16. Both men died. But he goes, ah, ah, there you go again. I go, no, there you go again. <laughs> he trained me for about six months and I worked on my own. We worked together in that factory. That old man, he was such a hard head. I had such a burden for that man. He got ready to retire. One day we're sitting in the office on a lunch break. And he said, you know, preacher, he says, I'm going to miss you. I said, I am going to miss you too. I don't get to be around a lot of grouchy people. <laughs> he goes, you are a smart aleck. And I said, yes, sir, I am. I said, but you got, this is the last night, huh, Bob? And he goes, yeah, it is. I said, please let me tell you one more time. And that wasn't the only time. Please let me tell you one more time how to be saved. He looked at me like he did that first day. And he goes, go ahead. 
And I went all the way through the plan of salvation with him again. Begged him to be saved. I wish I could tell you he trusted Christ, but he didn't. He said, I only listen to you because I respect you. We're not going to care about the rest of this world if we don't care about those people. We see their face every day at the grocery store, at the gas station. Do you understand, dear folk? Listen to me. Getting a burden for missions is getting a burden for souls where you live. You got to read something about your Jerusalem or it's not going to happen. Let several of our neighbors to Christ in our neighborhood, our next door. We've had three or four people move into this place there and they own the house. Two of those have died of cancer and I got to lead both of those men to Christ before they went on to eternity. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want somebody with a rock's throw in my house to wind up in hell without me at least giving them the gospel and not more than once, but enough times for them to hear it and know about Jesus and salvation. Yeah, you get a heart and a mind for missions when you, when you have a, a concern and you get involved in personal, local, so well, I don't know how to tell people how to be saved. Yes, you do. See, the amazing thing about being a witness is this. The moment you trust Christ, you are qualified to tell someone else. Do you know why? Because you could tell them what you did. Amen. Hey, if it saved you, it'll save them. Yeah. Early days of our church, first man ever went soul winning with me, Leroy Hallberg. He showed up to church. Even before they joined the church, he showed up on our soul winning night. And he said, uh, he looked around and he goes, where's everybody? And I go, it's you, Leroy. And his wife went with my wife. So he said, I'll just go along, preacher, and see what you do. So for several months, we knocked doors and I talked. Leroy just stood there, contractor. And after a while, I said, Leroy, you think you know what to do now? He goes, I got it, preacher. I got it. I said, okay, this door's yours. He knocks on the door and I showed him, you know, you introduce yourself. This is a track. I'd like to invite you to our church. Just be friendly and talk with folks for a second. Here's Leroy, contractor. Guy was the door. Hey, Leroy, preacher, you going to heaven or what? And the guy goes, what? Hey, man, look at me. I said, I'm Leroy. That's my pastor. We want to know if you're going to heaven or not. The guy goes, well, I don't know what we'd like to tell you. You want to listen? Huh? <laughs> guy goes, I, I don't know. I said, hang on a second. I said, sir, we sure appreciate your time. Here's a track. We'd like to talk to you about that sometime. He goes, I don't have time. I said, okay, thank you. We'll leave you that track. We're walking away. Leroy goes, not too good, huh? <laughs> so, well, it's a little direct, Leroy, you know. Plus, you look like you're about to whoop this guy. I mean, <laughs> It's not intimidate them into salvation, okay? At least he cared enough to try. When in Bible college, you used to go into the barrio, the, the, the Latino ghettos that were in South Chicago. I'd take our son with me and saw Paul was five, six years old, maybe. And we'd go in this, these ghettos. And it, they, were, they were rough. I mean, you see people with guns, and I mean, it was tough. I got my five, six-year-old son with me. And we go through the neighborhoods and we talk to folks and we were part of a juvenile hall ministry there. And we had a couple of kids that were in that, I got out of juvenile hall in that area. We'd go try to visit them, get them into church and stuff. And we'd, we'd go to places where you'd sit in the living room, if you call it that, and the wallpaper moved from the cockroaches. Switch blades on the table, people laying there with drugs, with needles in their arms. My five, six-year-old son is with me. But every time we'd leave a place, we'd walk by somebody. He'd say, how about him, Daddy? Are we going to talk to that man right there? How about that lady over there, Daddy? We're going to walk by that lady right there. Are we going to talk to her? And I, to be honest with you, that little guy embarrassed me. You mean because he wanted to talk to people? No, because I, was, I wasn't even thinking about it. It didn't even cross my mind. But to him, it was like, well, Daddy, how about... How about that one over there? That lady right there in that place, shouldn't we be talking to her about her soul and Jesus? Amen. Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Your kids will embarrass you sometimes, but the truth of the matter is we should be embarrassed for our lack of willingness to talk to others. It's about your local, personal soul winning. Yes, you can too talk to folks about Christ. Yes, you can too give them a track. Yes, you can too talk to them about their salvation. Yes, you can too be a witness for folks. Verse number eight, quickly, number four is this. You get a heart and mind for missions because you do your part. It says both in Jerusalem, Judea, both. Hey, while I am here, my concern is there. 
I got to do my part for those folks who go to around the world. Okay, it's simple. Remember, the idea of missions is this. If you don't go, you send. It's that simple. So if we're not going to go to Fiji or Brazil or Germany, and we're not going to go to these countries, then if we're not going to go there, then we need to send people to those places. So then I do my part both while I am here supporting the work here at Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids while I support it here with my time and my talent and my tithe and my work I support here. I'm also going to be concerned about how I what I do over there and how I send there and how I get to there and what I do there. And you do that by your every missionary has told you, please pray for us. And you say, well, of course we do that. No, 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 no. Not of course. It's essential. Our brother said it tonight. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation park. It's a fight and not a game. That Hinduism in Fiji over there, that's dangerous stuff. Those Hindus are supposed to be so pacifistic. They get really stirred up when you present Christ as the hope of salvation. And the truth of the matter is that's true anywhere you go. We got missionaries in communist countries, in Islamic nations, places where they're literally risking their life for the cause of Christ. We have a missionary in communist China trying to be inconspicuous. He is six foot four with red hair. God has the blind eyes of those folks to walk around among the Chinese people six foot four with red hair and be inconspicuous. The truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, it's essential. That's why you need to have a birth. If you pray for folks, you care about them. That's the fact. So this idea, and I believe pastor is going to present some things to you about how to keep missions minded to uh, before us every day. We have folks out of church every day praying for missionaries, our missionaries, and not just God bless our missionaries. For this missionary, we have a prayer line. People call in and we leave on that prayer line their prayer request and we give them the missionary for that day to pray for. That day, they pray for that missionary. Put a member of the church on the list too and they pray for that member that day. So every day we're praying for a missionary specifically by name, their family, their work, their ministry. That day, that day, each day, every day, we're praying for a missionary that God will take care of that particular missionary. That's essential. You, you get somebody on your heart and mind in prayer, you'll be a missionary-minded person, guaranteed. Yeah. And the other thing, my friend, is that thing that no Baptist wants to talk about. This stuff right here. Now listen, our giving to missions is essential to being missions-minded. Do you know why? Because <laughs> it's really simple. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now come on, gentlemen, look at me. If you got 14 hammers in your garage, maybe you're one of them sick puppies who's got that pegboard thing going in your garage for your tools. You know what I'm talking about? You got pegboard up there with hooks on it. You even got a felt pin outline of what a hammer looks like or a screwdriver. You're a sick dude, man. I'm gonna tell you that right now. Sick, sick. Any guy with a clean garage is a sick man. Sick, something's wrong up here. You should be having to have GPS to find your car if you got the right kind of garage. That's just how it works now. Sick. But it's amazing how we'll go out and drop 20, 30 bucks on a good hammer, and that's fine. And when it comes to missions, we don't have, I just don't seem to have the finances for that, Pastor Johnson. Oh, really? We'll spend $90 to $100 a month on a cable bill. When I told you last night, it cost $1 to save one soul. $1 to see one soul saved through missionary endeavor. $1. But we'll go to Starbucks and drop seven, eight bucks on a cup of coffee with an umbrella in it and, and uh, caramel and, and whipped cream on top. Look, if you're going to drink coffee, drink black coffee. Just straight up 30-way gear oil black coffee, okay? Not all that, you know, foo-foo, you know, espresso, macchino. You know, all that kind of junk. That, that's, that's disgusting. Do you know what that looks like when a man does that? Give me espresso macchino. And I would say, dude, get a hormone check. That's disgusting. <laughs> but figure it out. Hey, have you ever kept your receipts of what you spend on just stuff? You know what I mean? You run by the store right quick and you grab a thing. Have you ever kept your receipts for just a week? And look at what you spend in seven days just stopping to get a piece of gum or an espresso macchino, or whatever the case may be. You ever, you ever figure that one out? You ever look at that and see how much you spend? Listen to me, Americans, North Americans and Europeans spend every year $12.5 trillion on themselves. $12.5 trillion every year on themselves. And I'm not talking about medical stuff. I'm not talking about food and groceries. I'm not talking about paying rent. 
iPhone 11 comes out, boom, we're down there dropping 1100 bucks on an iPhone. And it takes you six months to figure it out and by the time you do, it's already outdated and you have to go get another one. It's unbelievable. We dro we'll drop hundreds and thousands of dollars on things. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is faith promise missions is the principle whereby aside and separate of my tithe and my giving, I set aside money for missions. Now here's the point of it all. You see, when you give something special to a special purpose, that's your treasure, your heart goes with that. Yes. Giving specifically to missions. We, well, my wife and I, we do our tithes and offerings, we give to our building fund, but we also give to missions every week. And it's separate, it's not our tithe, it's not part of our tithe. By the way, it helps to relieve a lot of financial stuff at your church when you take money out of your general fund and designate it and it comes through faith missions and you give it. Now some churches do it, faith promise missions a little bit differently, but I'll tell you what it means, simply this. See, mom and dad, you want your kids to be concerned thinking about missions? Have them give to missions. You, get, you set aside money from, you, you know, it's interesting. You, you're concerned about your house because you set aside money from your operating life to make sure your house payment is made as well as your insurance, liability. You take care of those things, plus you set aside some money in case of a you know, rainy day fund and that kind of thing. Hey, you set aside money for retirement. It's interesting how we do all that with our money and don't realize that if we did that with missions, if there are 200 giving units in this church, families, individuals, etc. Listen, now listen, and every one of you gave just $5 a month extra, different, special to missions. You would be giving $1,000 more a month to missions now than you do. Yeah, Five bucks a month. That's one trip for the Macachino boys. <laughs> I guess, I don't know, I don't drink that stuff. I, I don't drink coffee, I have character. <laughs> I do cocaine, but I don't drink coffee. I, uh, no, no, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Except weekends. The truth is, I, no, I don't do that. I promise, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just me and sarcasm. The truth is, I drink green tea and honey every day of my life. Anyway, the point is, it's cheaper. <laughs> but how come? You see that, that, that when, I get, when I take something out of my pocket, out of my operating life, my living life, the life that God has given me, and I give, and I give it special to missions, just missions, nothing else. And that doesn't mean I take it from the tithe. Tithe is the Lord's, that goes to the local New Testament church. That's separate, but when I take, you say, well, good night, preacher, if I take money from this and that, where am I gonna live? I don't know, God's dead, I guess he can't take care of you. I guess he can't provide for your needs. I'm not, by the way, that's the kind of giving that you and God work out between the two of you. That's why it's faith promise missions. You go to God and say, now, Lord, what would you have me do? I think he'd probably surprise you with a little bit more than five bucks a month. Yeah. I'm not trying to give you an amount. I'm just trying to say this. If you want to do something, we got to get under the both principle of Acts 1-8. I'm going to do something here. I want this church, Victory Baptist Church, if this is my church, I want this church to do its job. Last time the lights came on for free was when God said, let there be light. Ever since then, it cost something to flip the switch. Okay, I got that part. And now you're debt free on your buildings. That's wonderful, but there's still stuff to be done, operate, salaries to be paid, things to be taken care of, ministry. Okay, then that, that's what my tithing is about. You know why your heart's here? Because your tithe is here. Yes, sir. Now guess what? If you just designate over and above that to missions, and it's between you and the Lord, and I'll tr trust me, he'll be more fair and generous than you will. But he'll be reasonable. God ain't gonna spend you into the poorhouse. We were down in Mexico in that uh, devotional for missions. We were down in Mexico preaching and. Uh, the pastor we were with there, Brother Ramos, he and I went to school together. The pastor of the church runs about 3,000. Tremendous ministry there. He told me that in their missions program, he has a half a dozen ladies who make about $3, $4 a week salary. 40-hour, 50-hour week. But they give to missions every week about $10 a week apiece. I said, how, how do they do that? Do they give their salary? He goes, no. They take a few bucks from what they make. They get some masa make tortillas, stand on the street corner, and sell those after they've worked their eight, 10 hour day and take that money and give it to missions. Wow. Then I go home and think about it and I think, now wait a minute, 
how bad do I need a triple cheeseburger? Pretty cotton-picking bad, as a matter of fact, come to think of it. But how bad do I need this? These poor ladies are willing to, look at, there is a way to do this. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So giving directly, specifically to missions helps to keep my heart and my mind. Then when you put that in the offering each week or month or however God directs you to do that, that is a way that spurs the thought in your mind about missions and about what you do and the way that you handle that. That went over like a ham sandwich at a Jewish picnic. Okay, stay with me now. We got, we got one more point here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. I have a map on my wall in my study at home. It's a map of the world. There's times in my study, in my, my time in my study in my office, where I just simply look at the map and look at the countries and go through there. We support about 95 missionaries and go through there. We're about to add a few more in our missions. We do a missions month coming up in October. And I go through there and I look at these places and, I, and many of those countries I've been able to be in myself personally, but many of them I have not, most all I have not, to be honest with you, more I have not than I have. But I just look at the world. 7.5 billion people on this planet, folks. Millions will depart this life and never hear Jesus about Jesus one time. Hell hath enlarged itself. Heaven has specific dimensions. Hell is like a monster's mouth just gets bigger and bigger and bigger because more wind up, wide is the gate and broad is the path that leadeth to destruction. So you just sit there and think about the world. Now I think about what do we need to be doing here and what could we be doing there and how should we, should, what, 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 how should we be involved in this? See, it's sad we know all these athletes, we know all these movie stars. What a waste of time. Waste of time. We know all about the world stuff. We got it all figured out. We know about this and we know about that. We know what the headlines, we know what's going on. That's really sad. I was in an airplane, we're getting ready to get off an airplane. A mother and her teenage daughter were standing there and the, and the daughter said, mom, where's, uh, where's Mount Rushmore? And the mom said, well, what are they teaching you in school? It's in Minnesota. <laughs> And the lady behind her goes, no, it's not. It's in Wisconsin. <laughs> and I stood there and I said, those are the same people who stand in the line at the store when it says 20 items or less yeah. with a shopping cart full of stuff. Yeah, and I almost said, it's, and I thought, no, why ruin it? <laughs> we don't even know the stuff about our own nation. You get missions minded when you get a vision for this world. You get that from God. When we get outside our little bubble and our little life. You know, it's been this thing about going on missions trips. We've done this now for many years and the truth is, <laughs> you go on a missions trip. Listen, not, not an American missions trip. Five star hotels, limousines, ride around, get out, hand a track to a guy, get back on the bus and go back to the motel. No, no, not like that one. I mean, bucket baths, no running water. I'm standing there in Africa one day in this little shack of a thing, and the guy told me this, this little holes thing is where the water comes out for your shower. And it wasn't a shower. It was a little recess in the floor, kind of a drain in there, and a hose sticking out of there about that long. He goes, sometimes you get water, sometimes you don't. I said, okay. So we're preaching several times a day in equatorial Africa, hot, sweaty. I'm standing there one morning, and I said, now God, you made water come out of the rock for Moses and his people. Can't you get water out of this hose for me, please? Just long enough to take a shower. Just get wet and get cleaned up. That would be so nice. Lord, could you? Would you? I trust you, Lord. Come on, Lord. Make water come out of this faucet. Here we go. Are you ready? I turned the faucet. Water came out. I go, yeah, buddy. Okay. <laughs> got myself all wet like that. Turned it off. Got all soaked up. Turned it back on. Nothing. I said, do I have to ask for it to come back? I, please, no, there wasn't. And there was a little bit of water in this recess and I 
splashed it on myself and kind of dried off. There was like 200 African preachers at this meeting and they had them staying in the same building where we stayed, only they stayed in bunk beds and those 200 preachers had one bathroom. And I got myself dried off and I'm standing there <laughs> with soap in my eyes, splashing muddy water in my face, thinking, what in the world? I'm roughing it in Africa. And I heard singing, and I look out, and they're around these buckets of water with towels around themselves, splashing water themselves and laughing and talking and just having a great old time. And I thought, okay, okay, all right, a little muddy water and recess, that's bad. I got my own bathroom, for goodness sake. This is high clover, God. Yeah. You know, you could, you could actually get outside your world and try and reach somebody for Christ. And this is, this is true. And if I say anything that's not true, I'll tell you. The truth is, those people of that day, they took Acts 1-8, they went to the four corners of the known world they could get to. And you know what happened because of that? You got the gospel. They took Acts 1-8 seriously and you got the gospel. Hey, look at me. That salvation that you say you love so much came because somebody got a hold of Acts 1-8 in their day and they went to the known part of the world and then you got the gospel. Now here's the statement. Who's going to get the gospel from you? Who? Who in Fiji? Who in Brazil? Who in Germany? Who? Who's going to get the gospel because we take Acts 1-8 and get serious about this thing where we don't just say, you know, that was a nice meeting, enjoyed the sermons and all that kind of stuff. And those missionaries, they're amazing people and they're amazing people. The truth of the matter is they bury their little ones on the mission field. They leave their families. They go to the four corners of this earth and we get all bum-fuzzled about these folks and feel so good for them and so sorry for them. And then we just get up and go to Cracker Barrel and that's our life. The truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, ha, there is another generation of people. How much longer do we have? We don't know. When will Jesus come? We're not sure. But I can tell you this. If we don't get Acts 1-8 generations in our mind and our heart, get the vision of missions and have a mind and a heart for that thing in our day, somebody's not going to get the gospel because you didn't do your part. But uh, every one of us, the good thing about it is every one of us can do something. We just got to get a hold of this thing and figure it out. Let's stand to our feet, please, tonight.